Hello and happy Tuesday, my friends. This is Amy Lee San Juan. Of course, it is always my pleasure to welcome you back to another informative episode of Cisco Champion Radio, where we discuss topics across the Cisco portfolio to give you the insights you want and hopefully need. Today, we are talking about Wi-Fi 6E technology, how it extends Wi-Fi 6 into the 6 gigahertz spectrum that brings faster speeds, lower latency, and provides more security to the network. Specifically, we're going to be talking about our brand new best-in-class offerings from Cisco, including the Catalyst 9136 and the Meraki MR57 access points. And to help drive the conversation, we have Cisco champion hosts Dan, Mike, and Richard, and Cisco experts Amia and David here with us today. You all know the flow here. We are going to start off with introductions. Amia and David, we're going to start with you. Can you tell us more about who you are and what you do at Cisco? Thanks, Emily. This is David Wolf. I'm a product manager in the wireless business unit. Um, been with Cisco for about uh, 15 years. The last 12 of it, I've been in uh, the Winboo organization looking after access points. Hey, folks. Uh, my name is Ame Ahir. I'm a technical marketing engineer in the Cisco Meraki wireless PM team. Uh, been with the team for close to four years now. Uh, have been in the support organization as well for a pretty good amount of time. So have been have been around the house on the product and the support side. Awesome. Now on to our host, Dan. We're going to start with you. Who are you? What do you do? Hi, everybody. Uh, my name is Dan Sheldon. I'm a principal systems engineer with Worldwide Technology, WWT. Been here about five years uh, and about 17 years of experience with network engineering, architecture, before that in all kinds of verticals, manufacturing, and crazy, crazy times. All right, Mike, you're up next. Uh, hey, everyone. I am Mike Blytho. I'm a wireless engineer with Common Spirit Health, a pretty large healthcare organization uh, across the United States. Um, I've been doing this for a short period of time. Uh, I was a network engineer for the same organization for the last three, four years. And I've been in networking for close to a decade now. Very nice. Richard, last but not least. Hi, folks. My name's Richard. Uh, I work for a gold partner in the UK called ITGL. Uh, and I'm a solution architect, so I spend my time designing and deploying Cisco and, and Meraki wireless networks to hospitals and universities and and those sorts of places. And I've had a 9136 sat on my desk for a couple of months now. Nice. Lucky All man, right. lucky man. <laughs> <laughs> okay, David, before the champs kick off the conversation, is there anything our listeners should know, any background or history you could provide? Um, yeah, let me give you a, a little introduction into Wi-Fi 6E. So uh, about two years ago or so, uh, Wi-Fi 6 was introduced into the marketplace. Uh, that was the latest um, innovation in Wi-Fi. It brought 802.11ax capabilities into Wi-Fi, and that operated in the traditional 2.4 and 5 gigahertz uh, spectrum, um, as all traditional Wi-Fi has done before. Um, about that same time, regulators around the world started looking at uh, how can we enable uh, more spectrum for wireless, for Wi-Fi in particular, since the 5 gigahertz band and the 2.4 gigahertz band are all very crowded with the traffic today. So they started looking at uh, opening up uh, various amounts of spectrum in the 6 gigahertz band. So um, in the U.S., they looked at from 5925 to 7125, so 1200 megahertz of frequency, uh, making it available for Wi-Fi. In Europe and other countries, they're looking at uh, roughly 500 megahertz of spectrum. 
So with this opening up of Spectrum, uh, it created the new Wi-Fi 6E. So it's Wi-Fi 6, but extended, the E is for extended, into the 6 gigahertz band. So everything you knew about Wi-Fi 6 is now there in the 6 uh, gigahertz band. Um, and that's, that's basically what, what Wi-Fi 6E is. So question for you, David. What does that mean for the average wireless user? What, what, what does 6 gigahertz give us? So what 6 gigahertz gives us is a new greenfield opportunity for Wi-Fi, right? When Wi-Fi 6 came out uh, two, two years ago um, with 802.11ax, it had to be backward compatible and share the same spectrum with all the previous generations of Wi-Fi. So 802.11b, 802.11a, all those slow devices still operated in the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz band. With the Wi-Fi 6E and the 6 gigahertz band, it's only new devices, right? Only new devices that are capable of Wi-Fi 6 are there. So all these new devices support uh, 802.11ax and the uh, fast speeds there and the wide channel bonding. So the experience will be um, like an open, clean freeway, right? With a high-performance sports car and no, you know, semi-trucks or RV vans that you have to uh, slow down and, and wait your turn behind. So that's that's what's exciting about it. Uh, you know, you kind of mentioned a little bit that there's not a ton of devices out there yet um, that can, you know, operate in the 60 gigahertz spectrum. So what is it going to look like for the early adopters? Uh, what kind of environments will you see this really start to make an impact in, you know, right away? So um, I would say... Yes, with every new generation of devices, it takes a uh, you know a little bit of time for those client devices to show up. So the infrastructure will go out there first and offer um, the the services, if you will, and then uh, clients will start to um, adopt or get refreshed. You know, you'll get your latest iPhone device or your latest Samsung device, and and those would uh, then be able to take advantage of this new spectrum. Uh -huh. Also, just to add to what David just mentioned, is as you see that adoption go up, Mike, you'll see the newer client devices connecting on the 6 gigahertz spectrum, giving more space for our existing legacy devices as well. So overall, you're going to see a much higher performance, even as you're in the process of upgrading those client devices and access points between the 6 gigahertz and 5 gigahertz max. <clears throat> and it's going to take people time, right, to to reconfigure their devices and to get their heads into how Wi-Fi 6E works and WPA3 and all that sort of good stuff. Um, so, so those early adopters have got a bit of work to do to, to re-engineer how they think about their wireless. Yeah, so what we ex we expect is, you know, with the new APs, they'll still support the 2.4 and the 5 gigahertz for all those legacy clients that are still out there. But then we're adding this new radio. So you'll have three radios in the APs um, to, to support that, right? So we don't want to leave anybody behind, but we want to offer the 6 gigahertz for those new adopters, those uh, high-end devices that, that can take advantage of the 6 gigahertz. Uh, yeah, you, you know, you're adding the 6 gigahertz radio in. What is that, uh, you know, it's obviously not going to propagate quite as well as the 5 gigahertz does. So what do we look, you know, to design? How is that going to change when we're getting ready to go in and, and redeploy? I'll let Amelie uh, take this one. <laughs> well, no, I'm so glad Sorry. you asked that, asked that question. <laughs> Sorry, I'm in a <laughs> No worries. Uh, 
So uh, that's a very good question. And the way we look at this is as you look at six gigahertz, obviously the frequency is slightly higher than your five gigahertz. You are going to see a little bit more attenuation. So our coverage circles are going to be slightly smaller. But one key advantage that six gigahertz comes with is a completely interference free spectrum. So your SNR values are going to be much higher because now you don't have that much noise in the six gigahertz spectrum. You have much wider spectrum that's available. Uh, I, I think there are like 59 channels that are available. So there is a lot of spectrum that's given in the six gigahertz space. So from a design perspective, we do not expect a lot of changes. There might be a few changes here and there. We expect like one or two dB of difference when you're looking at the actual raw SNR from a five gigahertz coverage standpoint to a six gigahertz coverage standpoint. But overall, the performance of the network would be, or the coverage of the network would be pretty similar to what we are used to with the five gigahertz access points. <clears throat> so most of my clients are starting to look at uh, bringing their employees back to work, right? Uh, getting back into the offices, you know, utilizing the same spaces. Uh, vast majority of these are, um, you know, office locations and super high density locations. Uh, and I would say that, you know, 90% of the time when they're experiencing bad Wi-Fi performance issues, they're almost, you know, like I said, 90% um, of the time it's channel interference, you know. So it's something that, that we see quite a bit. My take is that six gigahertz would help that immensely, right? significantly more channels, significantly less players per channel. Yeah, exactly. As Amaya was pointing out, uh, there's like 59 new channels if you look at the whole 1200 megahertz, so 20, 59, 20 megahertz channels. But the real benefit is the ability to do 80 and 160 megahertz channels, right? So now we can really have that throughput that Wi-Fi 6 uh, promised right, in, in, in the channel bondings of, of 80 and 160 megahertz, but nobody really deployed that in five gigahertz because just there wasn't enough spectrum there and you had too much co-channel interference. Now in six gigahertz with all the spectrum, you can really deploy that without having that co-channel interference. Yeah, we couldn't even dream about deploying it before, you know, in our high density deployment. So it's, it's pretty exciting uh, to see these the, the higher channel widths, you know, as an actual possibility for us going forward. And even over here in the UK and, and Europe, where we only have 500 megahertz, you know, where we're, we're already selling these access points to universities and they are, they are already planning to use 40 and 80 megahertz uh, because we've never been able to extract that, that amount of bandwidth before. And it, I think it's going to make a, a big impact on, on the quality of the Wi-Fi that, that, that students see in, in those big lecture theatres and in those big refectories where, where we have tens and hundreds of people uh, in those environments. So there's uh, oftentimes when we have a newer technology like this coming out, it's it's a good time to, you know, force kind of those late adopters hands in adopting some new, um, you know, kind of requirements. Uh, WPA3, you know, can we speak a little bit about what, what Wi-Fi 6E and WPA3 have in common? Yeah, great question. Um... WPA3 is the latest uh, encryption technology uh, between the client and the access point. So how the AP communicates to the client in a secure fashion. So previously we had you know WPA and then WPA2. Um, then about was it two or three years ago WPA3 was introduced, but not a lot of people adopted it. Right? They, it was too 
new and, and un uncertain about how to do it. With Wi-Fi 6E, again, this is greenfield environment. So the, the standard said, we're going to mandate that you use the latest and greatest, most secure uh, uh, encryption between your clients uh, and your access points. So WPA3 is now mandatory in Wi-Fi 6E. So that is something that um, network operators and IT teams are going to have to familiarize themselves with on how WPA3 works, because um, it is a little bit different than, than um, WPA2, right? Um, so there is some, some learning that's going to have to happen uh, to, to take full advantage of that. But it's not just new for the sake of it either, though, right? Like the, um, the OWE features that we get in WPA3 now mean that we can secure a lot more of the traffic that, that people have previously put over their wireless networks. It's, um, I think it's well worth the effort people learning how this technology works. Yes, I would say, you know, definitely there, there, there's a reason WPA3 was created, right? It was to make our networks more secure, even in open environments, right? Um, so people, I think, were just a little bit hesitant to, to adopt it. Uh, but now uh, this kind of forces them to, to learn about it uh, in order to take advantage of six gigahertz. So, yeah, it, it brings a much more uh, secure environment for those clients in, in the six gigahertz band. And, and, you know, maybe they'll go back and implement it in their five gigahertz band once they become more familiar with it, which would be a great thing. Yeah, a little bit earlier, Dan had mentioned that starting to see a lot of their customers come back into the office. And the 9136 and the MR57 have some new sensors that we've you guys have put in there for uh, customers like us to use. Can you talk to us a little bit about those? I was waiting for the sensors question. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> Right. So with the 9136, you know, aside from the six, uh, six gigahertz radio, we took this opportunity to look for, you know, what other uh, network services can we provide? And, you know, a couple of years ago, BLE was the latest and greatest thing that got added into access points. So now we're looking at, OK, other than BLE services, what can we what can we make use of that real estate that we have on the ceiling to to help? Um, the overall network or the overall um, you know, uh, business uh, take. So we added uh, some environmental sensors. So we saw that people were adding these overlay networks of environmental sensors for temperature, humidity, uh, air quality, that then the building's operations team was trying to, uh, you know, monitor the environment there. So with adding these sensors into the AP, we can take advantage of that network connection that we already have with the access point and provide that information uh, to the building operations or, or um, the facilities team to, to measure that, that environment. And what are those measuring today? I know the uh, uh, temperature, humidity, and then... Um... What was it? Uh, air quality. Air, air quality. quality. So it's it's, it's uh, kind of like a, um, a a CO2 or you know it's called total TVOC, total volatile organic compound. So it's a little big long acronym. So I just call it air quality, <laughs> right? So it's it's kind of like um, you know when you have your weatherman say that you know there's a lot of pollution in the air today and there's a, a you know air quality alert type of thing. So it might be like a scale of one to five, right? Where one is everything's operating normally there conditioning's working, everything's great, um, and then you may have a, a time where, hey, air conditioning's not working in a certain area of the building, and so the air quality goes down to, or becomes a three or a four, or, and it just gives an, an alert to the team to, to take a look at your, your facilities uh, in that area. 
And I, I told uh, my wife about that one, actually, and she uh, she kind of surmised that, you know, putting one of these APs in every classroom, say, for, you know, like our elementary school kids, um, she said, you know, what if, you know, one of the maintenance guys went and painted the room over the weekend and nobody noticed or something? All of a sudden, your access point is telling you, you know, the air quality is not good enough. Get the kids out of the room. She she was thrilled with it. So I, I think it's exactly. um, I think it's a it's a really cool addition that you guys did that if anything was was kind of uh you know unsolicited i don't know if anybody that was asking for uh air quality monitors on their ap's but it's brilliant we did have some some users you know ask about that because they did see these facilities teams implementing these overlay networks of of sensors and uh gateways if you will for those sensors so they were trying to uh, eliminate the need for that overlay system so, but but school districts or particularly in some of these uh, uh, like California where they have stricter uh, air quality regulations uh, that became uh, an ask that we were seeing. Yeah, manufacturing too, um, just yep. based on what processes and chemicals are being in use, this would be huge to have not just a, a normal air sensor, something that's managed either by a third party or something like that, but you know, Cisco branded encrypted device, centrally managed. Um, that that's huge. Yeah, the security aspects of it alone are, are a pretty big deal. Um, a lot of times those sensors can kind of be just barely above a, d- a dumb device level of, you know, quality. And so being able to bring it in-house and, and secure it properly is, is a pretty big win, I think, for, for pretty much anybody. Yeah, and, and we have customers talking about exactly that, uh, especially when they've got compliance certifications in mind. You know, in, in the UK, we have Cyber Essentials and CE Plus and obviously PCI all over the world. The, the ability to, to demonstrate that your, your sensors are well-maintained and secure and haven't been compromised is, is a big deal. And, um, and it lets the estates guys get on with managing the estate instead of, instead of trying to be IT guys. I still love that it's estates guys and not facilities guys <laughs> in the UK. You guys sound so much cooler than we do. <laughs> Just the token Brit on the call this week. <laughs> That's amazing. So, um, you know, you're packing in. We've got four radios serving... Wi-Fi, and then a BLE plus temp, humidity, air quality. Let's talk about power requirements we've got. Um, you know, if we've got, a, you know, older switching infrastructure, are we going to need to upgrade? Uh, what, what does that look like? I think I can start here and I'll let David chime in for 9136. So I think this is probably the point where uh, the two SKUs, 9136 and MR50, differentiate a little bit. Because with MR57, uh, we, we have a Penta radio architecture. So we have uh, one client serving radio on each of the bands. So you have 2.4, 5, and 6 gigahertz. So that's like three client serving radios. And then we have one scanning radio and one BLE radio. Now, uh, since we know a lot of folks are going to be upgrading uh, their existing access points, uh, AT power is the most common that we saw in the field. And what we have done is if you are not using the USB port on the AP, you can actually have all three radios and the scanning and the BLE radio uh, or the IoT radio uh, at its full functionality, even on an AT power. Now, if you want to use your USB power or USB dongle, that like is like a type A connector with 9.5 watts of power output. So that's the point when you will definitely need a BT power source. 
again, we have made it a little bit simpler uh, for existing deployments where since the AP is equipped with two Ethernet ports, you can plug in two cables, combine two AT power sources to create one BT source. Uh, so that way you can still deploy it in existing switching infrastructure. But BT is something that will that is required if you want to use the USB dongle. Without the USB dongle or USB device, you can go by on the AT power source for MR57. David, do you want to cover 9136? I think there's some distinguished there. <clears throat> yeah, there's a little bit of difference here on the 9136. Um, again, for full functionality with USB and full spatial stream support, you do need the um, 802.3 BT power level or UPoE. Um, I think it pulls somewhere uh, just just south of 50 watts with, with 9 watts coming out of the, the USB port. Um, if you do have just the 802.3 AT power, um, then we do reduce, we turn off the USB as well, and we reduce uh, the spatial streams down to about eight total spatial streams. So um, there is uh, some reduction in functionality. Um, there's obviously a reduction in total throughput. So we, we've noticed that with the latest um, switching infrastructure that supports MGIG, um, most of those ports now are coming with UPoE. So we expect that to, as folks upgrade their switching infrastructure to MGIG to support the capacity that these APs uh, can provide, that the UPoE would come along with that. We do have uh, two Ethernet ports on the 9136, uh, mainly as a uh, resiliency or a redundancy feature. So you could connect those to two, swi two separate switches uh, and have seamless failover should one switch uh, lose power or, or switch over. And that's a really cool feature, right? As, as people move more and more into wireless-only offices, we see them demanding more and more reliability from their wireless networks. So to being able to have... Um, dual uplinks to, to different switches in a stack and for that AP to survive a switch failure is, is, is that's a huge change, right? That's awesome. Yes, as the wireless becomes, you know, mission critical and everything's going wireless, uh, resiliency is key. Um, over the past few years, we've added a lot of resiliency to the 9800 controller as far as, you know, so hitless software upgrades, uh, ISSU, those type of things. So now we're looking at it on the access point to have resiliency there as well. Yeah. And also one more thing to note, both APs have five gig Ethernet ports. So even if you're able to just connect one single Ethernet cable, you still have five gig wired uplink, which which is going to be required as you see that higher throughput on your wireless clients with 80 and 160 megahertz deployments. <clears throat> yeah, I actually had this conversation with a customer the other day, and uh, they were using um, 10 gig uplinks from their access switches back up to you know distro or a core. And uh, he said, oh, I, I can't ever see, you know, these these uh, switches are just doing um, wireless APs. I can't ever see them pushing more than 10 gig through. Uh, and it was a 48 port switch. And I said, you know, uh, you, you're going to start doing, you know, 2.5, 5, you know, gigabit per second to these APs. Um, you're going to want a 40 gig connection back. You know, you don't want to you don't want to have that that age old problem that we had when we were doing the initial, you know, kind of Wi-Fi replacements where, you're just bottlenecking at every switch connection and, and uplink. Um, so there's there's definitely kind of uh, broad ranging network design considerations 
that I think it'll be really important that, you know, uh, you know, kind of Wi-Fi heads uh, like like the guys on the call um, really stay in front of this. And uh, it's it's an exciting time to be a to be a Wi-Fi guy again, you know. Yeah, definitely. As we as we talk to customers about, you know, upgrading to the latest and greatest, we, we try to make it not just about the AP as well. We want to make sure that, hey, they deploy the AP, but then there's a bottleneck right at front, <laughs> right on the first the first switch. So we want them to look at the 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 total access network, right, that they're deploying. It's not just the the wireless, it's also the the switching infrastructure behind that, you know, whether it's power requirements or or data uh, capacity, M gig ports uh, capacity. So um, you have to look at it as the whole network in and of itself. Yeah, we, we found ourselves changing how we talk to our customers about doing their infrastructure upgrades. And, and instead of thinking about just a Wi-Fi upgrade one year and a LAN upgrade the next year, where we're taking a like a pizza slice approach because they can't afford to upgrade everything. But like if they only do the wireless one year and then the LAN the next year, they don't get the full benefit until they've upgraded all of those layers. So now we're saying, right, you know, focus on one building and or, or a group of buildings and, and say, right, what do we need to do to make the user experience in there excellent? And that's that's the access points, it's the access layer switches, it's the distribution switches, it's your your 40 gig or your 100 gig uplinks. Uh, and, th and that way we can deliver the, the benefits to those users, you know, real fast. And um, that's, a, that's, that's a, bit of a bit of a strategic change that we're seeing because back in, back in the day, the previous upgrades haven't, haven't been so, you know, so extensive, have they? But with Wi-Fi 6E and, and MGIG and all these extra channels, the, the bandwidth we see is, is, is phenomenal. No, that's certainly something we hear a lot. I think... Um... Every time there's kind of a new iteration of, of wireless, there's always the uh, the business concerns about do we need to run new cable? It's always the first thing asked. Um, I mean, Cat Cat Five has stuck around a long time, um, so you know new new buildings certainly are really nice. We can start you know making the recommendation moving forward. You know, two two runs per per AP drop uh, gives you that resiliency. You know, it gives you additional power. It gives you additional throughput. Uh, future proofing, you know, I hate the term, but you know, that's what, that's what we're doing. Uh, it's yeah, it's, yeah, um, I would say with, with this generation of access points and the M gig rates we're starting to achieve, we are probably tapping out five E, uh, cat five E capability. I would uh, strongly suggest uh, <laughs> if you still have that in older buildings, looking at seeing if we can refresh that in order to get the, the benefit of these new, uh, technologies. That's going to be some hot copper if you're running yeah. all this yeah. on Cat Five, <laughs> especially if it's a long run from the switch. <laughs> yeah. Hey, but the good news is you still don't need to swap out your Cisco mounting bracket. Exactly. I, I, I'm sure there's some folks somewhere that get paid to keep that design the same across all the generations. It's, it's a it's a fantastic uh, thing you guys have done with that. I appreciate those guys. I I really do. Definitely want to make it easy to upgrade. <laughs> Yeah, and it makes a big difference, right? The fewer tools we need, the quicker we can we can get those APs swapped out, the less disruptive we are to the users. It's such a simple thing, but it, it does make a big impact. Great feedback. So I think the last real question I had was just around the total number of, of kind of 6E capable clients nowadays. I know we talked about that, you know, it's it's an open highway with a, with a few Ferraris. Are there any uh, are there any standouts today? Is it a handful of devices? Is it, you know... What's what's the status, you know, as of February twenty fourth, two thousand twenty two? 
Well, I would say the, the latest devices from Samsung, the, the S22s, uh, definitely support Wi-Fi 6E. Actually, Samsung was one of the first out there with the S21 Ultra last year um, to support it. We had, um, there's a handful of, of laptops now with uh, Intel um, chips inside that, that support 6 gig. It's still kind of a, a premium, I would say, feature only on the high-end devices. But as we roll out, you know, Calendar 22, expect more devices to uh, come onto the market. That eternal back and forth of flagship devices can support it. Now can your network support it and, and vice versa. So we'll, we'll be playing that pendulum game for the next two years. And I was just reading about this yesterday. There is a Samsung 8K TV that has the 6E Wi-Fi inbuilt. So... We definitely know where the consumer market is heading towards. <laughs> 8K TV. I'll, I'll take two of those, please. Thank you. Thank you, man. I appreciate you offering. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I guess with that, we'll, we'll wrap. Well, this has been a super phenomenal episode of Cisco Champion Radio. If you want to learn more about today's topic, uh, check out the links in the description below. And of course, I like to remind you every single week, you can subscribe to Cisco Champion Radio on your favorite streaming platform and receive alerts on our latest releases. So wherever you're listening to us, make sure to click on that subscribe or follow button now. Thank you for listening in. Hope you check back in with us next week. <laughs>